Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me, first of all, to Matthew 28. Can you imagine going to Matthew? Uh, Matthew, yes, Matthew 28. And uh, I want to speak for a few moments on going beyond, an emphasis on going. Let's look, first of all, in Matthew 28 and verse 1. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. I'll stop there and comment for just a moment. Both of these Marys had been present at the cross just hours before. And they had come to the cross to see their Savior crucified. It's hard for us to imagine what that scene was. There was no joy in that scene. It was a horrible scene where literally the Lord Jesus Christ became sin for you and I. He did not die on that cross because he had sinned. The Bible says very clearly that he was without sin. They tried to convince him of sin, couldn't find any sin in his life. And there on that cross, because he loved us, he took our sin upon himself that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It was a horrible scene that day as he poured out his life, forsaken by his father. Uh, the, the father could not look upon sin, and so the first time that fellowship was broken between he and his son. And there dying alone on that cross, a horrible death, he paid for our sin. I can't imagine the scene after that. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, who were both disciples of Christ, but very privately coming to him by night for fear of being found out, decide that the time for being private is over. And they go to Pilate and they beg the body of Jesus. And this is hard for me to grasp, but it is Joseph and Nicodemus who go and personally touch that body and take it down off of the cross. Can you imagine that? The one that you've loved and the one that your, your hope is in and now he's dead and and you're the one that takes that lifeless body. I don't want to be crude in this room, but it has suffered and been ravaged. And probably by this time, rigor mortis has come and passed. And it is just a dead body. They take it down from the cross. Joseph has a tomb that he's now willing to publicly bury this man in. No more desire to be quiet and private in his love for Jesus. And he and Nicodemus take those burial cloths and wrap the body of the Lord, personally carry that body into the tomb there in the garden near Calvary. And then the government, they want to make sure that that one doesn't come out and make sure that they don't steal his body and claim that he resurrected and so they seal that place with a, tomb, with a great stone. And it is 
Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James and Joseph, who this morning, perhaps not knowing all that has taken place with what Nicodemus and Joseph have done, they've heard that Jesus is in that tomb and they come to the garden that morning. And you know, I think of what, what, what are you going for? How are you going to move the stone? What do you think you're going to do? You know, sometimes love is so great that when you get there, you'll figure out what you're going to do. And that's who these two women are. And they come to the tomb. Pick it up there. Verse 2, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Well, that's a good thing, they thought. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye. <laughs> I've often thought to myself, Boy, would I be glad to hear that, those words. When I had just seen the earthquake and seen the tomb roll away, saw the soldiers laying quietly, knew what had taken place the day before, thank you, angel, for telling me, fear not. Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here. He is not here. For he is risen as he said. Now notice this. Come see the place where he lay, where the Lord lay. Get this, and go quickly. Come and see, but quickly go and tell. Skip down to verse 10. Then said Jesus unto them. These two ladies have the incredible blessing of seeing the Lord touching, worshiping him. And he says to them, be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. And down to verse 19, go ye therefore. The amazing truth of this chapter is at the beginning, it is come see. And you think you're going to go see a vision of that horrible scene that you saw yesterday, that bloodied Savior on the cross. But when you get there, he is not there. Come and see. Come and see what? An empty tomb and then go and tell. You know the theme of Christianity in our day? Come and see. Go quickly and tell. Go tell. You and I have the privilege of coming into a church like this every week and we hear over and over and gladly so of the death the burial of our savior we hear about the crucifixion and we understand the love that it represented and we understand that our redemption comes from that shed blood but my friend we unlike many other world religions are not that's not the end of the story. There is a rest of the story. And so we come and see, but we go and tell. The Bible college that I went to, and I won't mention its name because I'm rather ashamed of the direction they've gone. But when you went into the classroom building, <clears throat> there was a plaque out in front 
And I've read it a thousand times, maybe, and, and thought, well, that's an interesting statement. But I've never understood it as much as I understand it today. It says this, enter to learn, go forth to serve. We were to go into that school and learn what God had for us to learn, but the end wasn't the learning. The end was the application of what we learned. Enter to learn, go forth to serve. Hey, every Sunday we come into a place like this and we are reminded of the truth of the gospel. But that's not the end of the story. We must then go and tell. You and I have been called to the going part of the gospel. To the telling the truth to the world that yes, Jesus died. And it was a horrible scene, a memorable scene, and one to be remembered. But it wasn't the end. He rose, and now we have the responsibility of going and telling. That's what this week is about, going and telling. And I want to share with you this morning one man whom I think maybe more than most others was a goer and a teller. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10? <coughs> Pardon me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul was a man who understood the gospel message, that it didn't end at the cross, it proceeded out of the grave. Our world is immense, huge, but it can be reached. Notice with me 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel that men were sinners and without hope. But Jesus Christ loved them enough, took their place on a cross, died in their place for their sin, and rose again. And in him, they could be saved. And that was Paul's message. And he wasn't trying to be pro professional or academic. As a matter of fact, he said, I, I just want the gospel, the cross, to be my message. Because it is our salvation. He goes on. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is of other men's labors. But having hope when your faith is increased, that ye shall be enlarged by you, that we shall be enlarged by you, according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The Apostle Paul was a man of great vision. You know, I think of this, this calling on our lives to go and tell and I think of how immense the world is. All seven and a half billion people. It's difficult for me to even comprehend that. I, I get past a hundred and I'm lost. Seven and a half billion people. How many languages? How many cultures? How many colors? How many nationalities? 
and, and it becomes so immense that it's almost impossible for us to, for us to process, to understand. And, and yet, here's what I bring it down to. As immense as it is, there is but one name whereby every man must be saved. And it is the name, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as immense as it is, I, I can't do what God does. I, I don't have the capacity that the Lord does. And the Lord is able to love every single one of those seven and a half billion. He knows their stories. He knows their hurts. He knows their needs. And he loves them. And he gives to us the responsibility to go beyond ourselves. Sometimes I get distressed. Because it seems like my world is reduced to the three feet that, that surround me. If it impacts me right then, it's part of my world. If it, if it is important at that moment, it's important in my world. But there is something so far beyond that. And you and I have to break out of that bubble and be willing to be used of God to reach a world. Paul was that kind of man. In this passage, I see that he goes beyond his measure. I see that he goes beyond his means. And I see not only that, but he's willing to go to the regions beyond. And I want to consider those for just a moment. Think about it with me. He goes beyond his measure. Look at verse 14 again. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure as though we reached not unto you. The relationship between the Apostle Paul and the Corinthian church was at times pretty adversarial. They were a carnal people. They did not like the authority, the spiritual authority of the Apostle Paul. And often they would accuse him of certain things. And, and if we could unpack this whole verse, we would understand that what they're saying to the Apostle Paul at this moment is, is Paul, you're, you're a dreamer. We have our own issues here in Corinth, and we have our own needs in our life, and, and you're challenging us to see a world and reach the world. Paul, don't you realize that that is not possible? Don't you realize that it's too big, too far, too hard? You're a dreamer, Paul. And I love what Paul's answer back to them is. It's, it's this, in essence, we reached you wasn't easy to reach you, but we reached you here in Corinth. You see, there have always been those who have said it cannot be done. Hey, when they were just new in Jerusalem, there were those who said, hey, it's just for Jerusalem. There's no way that you could take the gospel to anybody but the academic and educated Jews of Jerusalem. You couldn't possibly take it to Samaria but they did. And then there were those who said, well, maybe it could go to Samaria. They have some background of Hebrewism and Judaism. So maybe it could go there. But it could never go to the Gentiles. But it did. And out of Antioch became one of the greatest missionary movements that the world has ever known. There was a day that Paul sat in a city called Troas 
and he was frustrated because he had been attempting to do some things for the Lord and God just kept shutting doors. And that night he gets a vision of a man in Macedonia calling out to him, come over and help us. And Paul, obedient to the call that the Lord had laid on his heart, and the gospel for the first time jumps an ocean, goes over the Adriatic Sea, and those people in those areas of Europe are saved. And I got good news for you. It jumped another ocean. It came across the Atlantic, and you and I are the recipients of God's grace because the gospel can go wherever God lets it go and allows it to go. I'm saying to you that everything about reaching the world is impossible if you view it from our own measure. Mike Edwards, the measure that Mike Edwards has is never enough. But pour the Holy Spirit into a surrendered Mike Edwards and then you can find out what God can do. And job number one of this conference is for us to be prayerful that God will help us to see not what we can do by our own measure, but what we can do with God working in and through us, the measure of God. And here's the truth. These kids can get to, they can get back to Burkina Faso. These kids can get to Indonesia. And I don't care how many Muslims are there. God can work. And God can work in Zambia. And God can work in Guyana. God can do these things beyond our measure. How about this one? Paul was also willing to go beyond his borders. Hey, one of the great political questions in our nation today is all the folks coming into our country, both legally and illegally. And I'm not smart enough to answer those questions. It's not the point of my message. But I will say this to you. Our greater concern sitting here today is not those who come in, but can we get some to go out to reach lands that need the gospel? People who we send out from our church as missionaries. Around 46 AD, Paul began traveling the world preaching the gospel. For the next 15 years, he traveled by foot and by ship. He was supported by others, but also when needed, he worked as a tent maker. He preached in cities and in villages, both in and out of season. He preached in North Africa, Asia Minor, Greece, the islands of the Mediterranean, Italy, and even in the capital of the Roman Empire itself. Had Paul had modern means of transportation, I think he literally would have covered the globe. There was no border, there was no barrier that could keep him out if it was the Lord's will that he go in. He literally lived the Great Commission. I uh, saw that phrase, regions beyond, and you know, I'm thinking, well, what does that mean for Paul's world, the regions beyond? And one commentator I read wrote this, and I absolutely love it. Paul's attitude was always still further. Still further. Where are you going tomorrow, Paul? Still further. What are you going to do tomorrow, Paul? Still more. (laughs) Still further. You know one of the great fears I have for my own life? That there will come a day when I say, far enough. Far enough. 
I've gone far enough in my commitment to the Lord. I've gone far enough in what I'm willing to sacrifice and give. I've gone far enough in trying to reach the lost. I've gone far enough. Hey, one of the plagues of this generation in our churches is that there are folks who think that they can now step back from being servants to the Lord. Hey, I've done my time. Really? Do you want God to take you home today? Hey, I've done all I can. Come on. Hey, you just don't understand, preacher. I've given a a lot. I'm, I'm thinking as Jesus went up the hill bearing that cross, if he ran across his mind, Boy, another few steps, I've gone far enough up Calvary. I'm not trying to scold us. I'm trying to warn us that it is so very easy to say to the Lord, far enough, done enough. And for the Apostle Paul, there was always a region beyond. There was always still further that he could go. My hero, C.T. Studd, said this. Some want to live within the sound of a church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue ship within a yard of hell. Now, I don't know if that's, that is good preaching. I don't know if it's good theology, but I sure love that spirit, don't you? I don't know that I'll ever measure up to him and his ministry, but I want that spirit that if these legs will carry me, I can go still further. If the Lord will support me, I can give still more. And Paul was that kind of fellow that said, I can go further. Third, he was also a man that lived beyond his means. Now you have to understand something. I am the cheapest man alive. And you will never hear me say live beyond your means except in this fashion. My wife, I'll see her tomorrow. I'm taking her out to dinner tomorrow night. You say, where will you go? Well, we'll go to McDonald's. <laughs> because you can get a cheeseburger on the dollar meal, each for $2, and then you get a large Diet Dr. Pepper. I hate Diet Dr. Pepper. She loves it. So I'm such a good husband. I'll get a Diet Dr. Pepper, two straws. $3.16. That's who I am, Okay. But, but we need to be lavish with the Lord. And Paul was not saying that he wanted to be enriched. Just the opposite. He was a man that said, I've learned to abound, but I've also learned to obey, be abased. I, I always have enough. I've learned to be content with what I have. But what he was saying to us is, listen, in the measure of what we give to the Lord, in the measure of what we do for the Lord, give lavishly, for God is able to make us sufficient. God is able to give to us and provide for us so that we are sufficient, so that we can abound to every good work. Hey, I used to preach faith promise as if it was something mystical and magical. And you just prayed and God would put a number on your heart and you just put that number down and God was going to do a miraculous thing. You hoped. You know what I think faith promise is? It's sacrifice. 
more than ever before, I think I understand that what faith promises is that decision in our lives where we move ourselves off of priority spot and we say, God, what is important to you? I will put you there and I'm willing to do without. I'm willing to let me do without so that I can do what is important for you and to you. I think of Elijah and that widow. And I think, in my mind, this is a great illustration of what faith promise is. Can you imagine Elijah, Baptist preacher Elijah, sent of the Lord to this widow's house, and he walks into this house and he says, what do you have? I'm hungry. And she says, well, I, I have a little bit of oil, and enough meal for a cake for my son and for myself. And my plan is we're going to eat that and then we're going to go die. And I love Elijah. Now listen, because God told him to. Can I tell you the truth? Elijah, if he was like any other Baptist preacher, and I know he wasn't a Baptist preacher, but this is my illustration, so you let me do it. Like any Baptist preacher, Elijah had to look that widow in the eye and said, make me a cake first. And it killed him. It killed him to say that. It's not in us to be like that. But God had told him, this is important. You go in and you say to that widow, make me a cake first. And that widow expressing unbelievable faith, but unbelievable sacrifice. Says, okay. She takes that meal that was going to be two cakes. And that oil that was going to fry two cakes. And she makes one cake. And she hands it to Elijah. In my mind's eye, he eats it in front of her. This sure is good. <laughs> I hate you, boy, and you're going to die, but this surely is good. Is that the end of the story? The end of the story is God did exactly what he said he would do for faith promise. She went to that barrel every day. And you know what she found? That it was enough. It was sufficient. And she could abound to another good work. She could make a cake for her son and for herself and even for Elijah. And she went back the next day and there was, <laughs> there was sufficient to make another cake and sufficient to make another cake and sufficient to make another cake. Now, had it been me, I'd have said, Lord, will you fill that barrel? No, every day, because of her willingness to sacrifice, there was enough. There was enough. There was enough. You see, we come down to moments like this, and we have an opportunity. And the opportunity is, who, who's going to stand on my priority place? Is my security my security going to stand there? 
Is my wanter list because I want this and I want that? Is, is that going to take the priority spot? Or am I willing in the Lord to step off that spot of priority and say, Lord, I really want those things and I'm really comfortable with this thing, but I'm willing for you and your work and the gospel ministry to reach the world. I'm willing for that to occupy that spot. And you know what has occurred to me? You may regret not giving to missions. You will never regret moving yourself off that spot. 1904, a man named William Borden was graduating from high school. You may not know that name, but you know Elsie the cow, don't you? And the Borden Dairy, that William Borden. He was heir to the Borden Dairy and all that went with it. His father, wanting to broaden his out, you know, his, his understanding and his outlook, decided to send him as a graduation gift. Now get this, all you graduates, for a world trip, a trip around the world. And his mother was a Christian woman and shared the gospel with him, and I believe he was saved. And uh, Borden, getting a chaperone, begins a worldwide tour. And uh, the worldwide tour goes exceptionally well, except that it did not accomplish what Father wanted it to accomplish. Because instead of improving his outlook and his mind for business, Borden saw the need of the world, and God called him into missions work. He came back to the States, and his father was disappointed, but they thought, you know, if we send him to college now, and he'll, this is just an emotional thing, he'll, he'll get this off of his heart. And so they sent him to Yale. And he went to Yale, and boy, he was a great student, but he was more than a great student. He was a great evangelist. He started Bible studies in his dorm. He began a rescue mission, preaching on the streets. And literally, if you can imagine this, revival at Yale. They need him back. They found written in his Bible flyleaf one place, say yes to Jesus, say no to the flesh. And yes to Jesus every time. What a statement. Graduates from Yale. And uh, now God has laid on his heart reaching the Kanzu people in Mongolia area in China. There's an unusual truth about them. They speak Arabic. And so to be able to minister to those people, he has to first go to Cairo and learn Arabic. And so at some point after graduation and after farewells, he moves to Cairo, Egypt. Less than 30 days after he is in Cairo learning the Arabic language, he contracts spinal meningitis. Less than 25 days after contracting spinal meningitis, he dies. What a tragedy! What a wasted life! What squandered opportunity until they opened his Bible. And there they found it. No reserves. No retreats. No regrets. Someday, I don't know when, but sooner than yesterday, I'll stand before the Lord. And one of the things I want to be so cautious about 
I wasn't saved as a child, and I so regret the 23 years of my life that were lived separate from the Lord. Since that time, I'm trying to live for Him as you are, and I, I want to be so very careful that there are not things that I purposely weave into my life that I stand before Him and I regret. And sometimes that makes for some very hard decisions. I have to make decisions about things that I'm going to do, places I'm going to go, people that I'm going to see, because I don't want to live with regret. And I don't want to answer him with regret. I don't think any person has ever stood before the Lord and said, oh, I wish I'd have done that cruise instead of using that money for God. Oh, man, I regret all the times I went to those missions conferences and hurt. Nobody's going to say that. But there will be times we'd say, oh, I knew the Lord was tugging on my heart. And I so wanted this other thing that I said no to him. The songwriter said it very appropriately. By and by, when I look on his face, beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face, by and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. More, so much more, more of my life than I e'er gave before. By and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given more. You see, that's the importance of moments like this. That's the importance of weeks like this. Where God just speaks to us and says, what has the most value? What is the top priority in your heart? Does something need to be moved? so that I can occupy that spot. May God speak to each of us and lead each of us to include this preacher that we never stand before him and regret the moment that we turned away. Regret the moment where we chose wrong, for we will always wish we had given more. Would you pray with me?